This is Instant Game Reaction, an immediate look back at the Colts' latest game. And trying to make an adjustment on the ball is Michael Pittman. He catches it, and he rumbles across the goal line. Touchdown, a 42-yard strike. Aaron out downfield, down the far sideline, looking for Zay Jones, and it's intercepted by the Colts. He's in! Touchdown, I-N-D-Y! Now, here's your host, J.J. Stankovitz from Colts.com. What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Instant Reaction here on the Colts Audio Network. I'm JJ Stankovitz, joined every week by Colts Ring of Honor wide receiver Bill Brooks. Bill, today we are talking about the Colts gutting 39-38 loss to the Cleveland Browns on Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. A lot to get into. I think the place you have to start with this game, and I know some people listening are going to say you need to start with the refs. That's not where we're going to start. It's the four turnovers. Yes. It's Gardner Minshew losing three fumbles and throwing an interception. The Cleveland Browns get a direct touchdown off of one of those fumbles. That came on a Miles Garrett strip sack in the end zone. They get a couple other points off of the other ones. Miles Garrett goes in, blocks a field goal. The Browns wind up getting points off of that as well. And in a one-point game where your offense played really well, ultimately – you can't turn the ball over four times and expect to win. No, you can't. And one of the things you want to do is hopefully win the turnover battle. And the Colts did not win the turnover battle. And Cleveland won the turnover battle. And on top of that, to me, what separates what Cleveland did and what the Colts did is when the Colts got turnovers, they didn't score off the turnovers. Cleveland, as you mentioned, scored off their turnovers. They got points off the turnovers, and that's what you want to do. You want to take advantage of those turnovers by getting points, and Cleveland did that. And, you know, they went down and scored points, and to me, that was the biggest difference in the game. They got turnovers, they won a turnover battle, and they got the points off the turnovers. That's the big thing for me right there. If the Colts – could have got more turnovers, of course, and won the turnover battle and then capitalize off those turnovers and score some points, then I think it would have been a different game. Yeah, the Browns scored 20 points off of turnovers in this game. And, I mean, you're absolutely right, Bill. The Colts did have, you know, you had the Julian Blackman interception. You had, I mean, t- two near turnovers where Kenny Moore the second yep. just can't get his hands under a ball. Then DeForest Buckner just can't get his hands under an interception, um, you know, really tough on both of those. Just, I mean, so close yes. on both of those. Um, and, you know, Shane Steichen said after the game, we're 3-0 and when we win the turnover battle. When we don't, we're 0-4. We're and, and I think when you, when you start thinking about this Colts team and how competitive they are and just how tough they are, they're not a team that, I mean, there are very few teams in the NFL that can overcome losing the turnover battle. Exactly. And those are the teams, Bill, that like they have the like aliens at quarterback who can just <laughs> erase mistakes. You know, yes. The, the Colts don't have that. That's OK. No. Most teams don't have that. Most teams need to win the turnover battle to win games. The the way that this this kind of worked out, though, was. You know, I mentioned the, you know, the the strip sack in the end zone. Mm-hmm. That the the 60-yard field goal, too, that was blocked by Miles Garrett. I think you need to kind of throw in here. It obviously wasn't a turnover. I don't even necessarily 
really know if it was a bad decision because Matt Gay was hitting from that distance and exactly. he's got the leg to do it in a close game. You're thinking, all right, you know, we got the Browns. This is still the Browns defense here. We probably need to go get points. Mm-hmm. And Miles Garrett, I mean, Bill, what an unbelievable <laughs> play that he made. Like there is literally nothing you can do as a team when someone makes a play like that. If Miles Garrett puts just the tip of his spike on one of his teammates, it's a penalty. Exactly. Instead, he hurdles the offensive line and goes in and blocks that kick. Like, okay, that's just an insane play. The strip sack, a great play by Miles Garrett coming from that wide nine, beats Drew Ogletree, beats Blake Freeland around the edge. Um, just a, a game that, you know, you also can say, I guess on the flip side, if I were covering this from a Cleveland perspective, I probably would have written that Miles Garrett flipped the script of this game and got the Browns a win. Exactly, especially what he did on that, as you said, blocking that field goal. I mean, for him to jump that high, not touch anybody, and get his hands up and block that field goal, that was an unbelievable play by a man that's very athletic, very big, strong, fast, all those things, and he made a great play. And then the other plays he made as well as far as getting around other players uh, of the Colts and strip sacking sacking the stripping the ball from Gardner Minshew in the end zone and the other one in the middle of the field. He's just, he's just a freak athlete and give the man credit. He's one of the better players in the national football league and he played like it. And, you know, when you have big time players, as they say, big time players make big time plays in crucial situations. And he did that today for the Cleveland Browns. So this game was kind of flipped on its head. In the sense, Bill, that the Browns came into this game, just just a couple numbers to set the stage here. Cleveland came Mm -hmm. into this game allowing 200.4 yards per game. They were on pace to allow the lowest total yardage in a full season since the NFL switched to a 16-game schedule. They had allowed 3.8 yards per play. No team since 1977 has finished a season allowing under 3.9 yards per play. They had opponents turned a fresh set of downs into a first down or a touchdown under 50% of the time. Like this was a historically good defense, dominant defense. But the one thing they hadn't done was take the ball away. They entered the league with, they entered the game, excuse me, with four turnovers uh, this season. That was the only team that had fewer entering week seven was the Patriots with three. And the Browns come out. And they take the ball away four times, but the Colts get 456 yards. They average 6.9 yards per play. And the Browns go, uh, excuse me, 6.8 yards per play for the Colts. And the Colts go and score 38 points. Like just a completely different script to this game than you would have expected coming into it based on what the Browns had been entering Sunday. Exactly. I mean, coming into the game, you you people thought, oh, man, the Colts are going to have a hard time moving the ball up and down the field against these guys because they're so good. And they are. They're a good defense. Don't give them credit. They are a good defense. But that says a lot about the Colts coming into this game, not just listening to the press, reading the press clippings, listening to what people in the media are saying about, you know what, this is such a, a good defense. These guys went out and they played and they moved the ball, but they can't turn the ball over you can move the ball up and down the field but if you don't score in the red zone which the Colts are pretty good in the red zone when they got there but when you turn the ball over 
it makes it difficult to win football games. And that's what happened. They turned the ball over, but give them credit. I mean, there's no moral victories, but if you want to look at the glass half full, there were some good plays that the Colts made, some big plays the Colts made, the Pittman play, Josh mm-hmm. Downs. Um, yeah, JT running the ball, some big plays from JT. Alec Pierce made some nice plays. So those are some nice things you can hang your hat on. But in the bottom, the bottom line is you didn't win the game because you turned the ball over. Let's talk about some of those good things, though, Bill, because I thought I thought this game was a really, really impressive schematic showing by Shane Steichen. Mm-hmm. The the amount of motion pre-snap motion that he used, that is not something that is like baked into this Colts offense. They don't you know, they used motion a little bit as kind of a sprinkle, mm-hmm. but it, it felt like. Two, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm going to write about this on Colts.com in my five things learned tomorrow when I do get the numbers. It felt like two-thirds of the plays, there was pre-snap mm-hmm. motion. And I asked Josh Downs after the game, I was like, is that the most you've ever gone in motion pre-snap in a game in your career? And he just laughed and he's like, yeah, definitely. Like he was doing so much stuff, whether it was jet motion, orbit motion, just stuff to give man zone tells Bill. And, you know, you draw safety down, with that motion across the formation and bill when you go in motion like that how does it help an offense when you're playing a defense that's playing as much man as the browns play and did play on sunday well like you said jj when you have that kind of motion and motion back and forth and different people uh, moving around there it gives you indicators indicators as far as okay man who has who um, what type of what type of defense they're playing. Then also what it does is help when you run those type of motions, those guys have to follow you. And it's hard for those guys to play tight coverage against the guys that are in motion. And when you run them behind guys, whatever, it might end up being in a stack when you run a motion and the guys have to back off because they don't want to get rubbed. And I won't use the word pick, but they don't want to get rubbed out there. So that, you know, it makes it easy release for the wide receivers or the tight ends or the running backs, whoever's running the motion. Um, so it helps them in their release and getting into the routes. And that's what you want. That happens a lot when, you know, teams are playing man to man. You want to do a lot of motion. So it gives the receivers an opportunity to get off the ball and get into the routes and get downfield and hopefully get into the routes a little bit quicker um, than getting jammed on the line of scrimmage. So that helps a lot for the receivers. And of course it helps to tell if it's man or if it's zone or what type of man they're playing. It's it's interesting, Bill. The the one team the Colts had used a lot of motion on before was the Titans, a team that is going to play quite a bit of man. Um, so that that's kind of something that Shane Steichen now has in his back pocket. Yes. Like, all right, when it calls for it, we can go ahead and do this. And so just just for reference, the Colts against the Titans, they ran motion on 47 out of 66 plays. The Colts ran 70 plays against the Browns. If I had to guess, I bet they ran motion on over 50 plays of those. Yeah. And it worked. It, it was running plays. It was passing plays. It helped the line get set, you know, and kind of, you know, identify the front, know exactly what the front was going to do. And the other thing, too, is it it just – it makes the defense communicate. And I think you saw the Browns have some issues in communication in this game. The Josh Downs, the 59 yarder, where it was kind of a free play. Gardner hits the whole shot. 
That bill was the longest Colts touchdown since Jonathan Taylor went 67 yards against the Raiders last year. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Michael Pittman play, <laughs> 75 yards, where, I mean, my goodness, like, like, talk, like Alec Pierce after the game was like, yeah, I saw, you know, like the defender tried to, you know, kind of go for the ball. He's like, with Pitt, he's like a running back out there. You, you got to like be physical with him. Pitt just runs through that 75 yards. That is the longest Colts touchdown since Jonathan Taylor went 77 yards against the Jets back on that Thursday night game in 2021. So it's been a minute since the Colts had touchdowns that explosive. But I think it goes back to this is a, a defense, a Cleveland defense that was so sound. Like they did not give up big plays. They barely let you move the ball against them. And the Colts with Shane Steichen pulling the strings and the players executing it found ways to generate the kind of explosive plays you'd need to go beat a t a defense as good as the Browns. Yeah. I mean, that, they were made some nice plays out there and it goes to show you that, you know what, you can do things from an offensive standpoint, as far as scheming things up, as far as the motions and the formations and the personnel to make things confusing for the defense and making them communicate because like a lot of things in life, if you don't communicate, there, there could be problems. And if the team can't get it that's right. That's good relationship advice. Sorry. That's good relationship <laughs> advice right there, Bill. Yeah. So if you don't communicate, there's going to be, there could be a lot of problems. So, you know, if those guys can't communicate out there on defense, there's going to be a problem. And you saw that with the Josh Downs play. I thought there was some miscommunication on defense um, there. And Josh Downs sat in the hole there. Gardner saw him, put the ball on him. And Josh took it from there. So those are things that you can do from a schematic standpoint to hopefully confuse the defense and give yourself an opportunity to make some big plays. Josh Downs, by the way, he goes five for 125 today. That puts him at 33 catches for 401 yards, less than halfway through his rookie season. This guy's a pretty good player, Bill. He's he is a he's a very good player. For him to, you know, to to come in and do the things that he he's doing out there in the football field, and I think I heard Gardner Minshew said this in the, and maybe in the in the uh, presser after after the game, that um, you know there's a play that he he caught and you know and some of the big plays and but there's one play there was a scramble drill and for a young player to understand a scramble drill and find the hole and get open, that says a lot about the young man how much he knows about the game of football and how much he knows about playing wide receiver out there in the football field. So. I, you know, I think Josh is a, a fine receiver, and I expect bigger and better things as he goes along in his career. I like how the Colts just aren't using him as a slot-only guy now. Exactly. Either. Like, he has, he has established himself and earned those reps on the outside now where it's not just, all right, well, like, you know, Josh is our, our slot guy. It's like, no, we can put Josh on the outside, and he can still go make plays. That, to me, is such a, an encouraging sign that they're putting more on his plate as the season goes on and he is continuing to earn more and more on his plate. Yeah. The young man's working hard and, you know, he's, he's a wide receiver, so he can play inside. He can play outside. He can play off the, off the tight end as far as, you know, like a, a wing back, so to speak, and, and run routes off of there. He can be in the backfield. So he can do a lot of different things. And when you have a, a young guy that's that talented and understands the game of football, you could use him in a lot of different ways. And it's, you know, if, if, as long as he keeps on doing what he's doing, I, I'm sure Shane will find ways to use this young man to be effective for this Colts offense.
I also love how you said that, Bill. He's a wide receiver. Like you, <laughs> you, you, you certainly know that. And to, he, he's not just like this, you know, pigeonhole gadget guy. Like, no, he's a exactly. wide receiver. Exactly. He's running routes. He's getting open. He's doing the things he needs to do as a wide receiver. He's blocking when he has to block. He's running routes to get other guys open. He's running routes to find a hole in, in zones. He's running away from man. He's doing all things that you do as a wide receiver out there in the football field. He's not just a slot guy that just runs routes from the slot and do different things from the slot. He can play out wide. You know, you can put him, as I say, like at, at, a, at a wingback spot, so to speak, mm-hmm. off the tight end. I mean, you don't want to do it a lot because he's not that big, but you can do it. You can put him in the backfield. You can have certain motion where he goes in the backfield. He does a, he can do a lot of different things. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Shane can do with him as far as other things out there in the football field and different formations, different personnel. So I'm sure as the season goes on, they'll do different things with the young man. Yeah, Josh Downs certainly impacted the game beyond those five catches that he had. All right, real quick before we start talking about the defense, Jonathan Taylor, 18 carries for 75 yards. He matches Zach Moss's carry total in this game and outpaces Zach Moss in touches 21 to 19. JT gets a 20-yard reception. He rushes for 24 yards on a play, gets his first touchdown of the season, and just some of those those plays, Bill, where where he got like real skinny in those little tiny holes and turned, you know, what might have been a one yard gain into a four, five, six yard gain. You're starting to see it with Jonathan Taylor. I, I think he, as the season goes on, he's going to continue to kind of take more and more uh, reps in this offense and continue to, uh, you know, be a bigger and bigger part of this offense. And that's no, that's no disrespect to Zach Moss, who is going no. to be a, a key guy in this, this offense, certainly. But I, I think again, you're, you're starting to just like see it with Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. You're starting to see it with JT and, you know, JT is getting his, so to speak, legs up under him right now and you know, getting ramped up now. And you saw some of that today, as far as I'm having those running those for those tough yards there, as far as getting some plays and some yards just by, kind of make himself small, squeezing through the little cracks there and getting some some positive yardage out there. So I think he will continue to do that. I think, you know, as the season goes on, of course, they're going to build up more of him running the ball and he's going to have more stamina to, to do those things. And, of course, Zach Moss is going to get in there as well because he deserves to to get in there and, and get some plays himself because he has he's played well uh, up to this point. So, it's good to see JT kind of getting back to his old self as being out there running the ball and running hard and making some plays, but not just running the ball, but as you said, catching the ball as well. So, you know, using JT in, in multiple ways, running the ball, catching the ball, I think that's good for the Colts. On defense, I think, Bill, if you told me before the game, the Colts would hold Cleveland to 4.4 yards per play, four of 16 on third down, I would have been like, all right, well, how much are the Colts going to win by? Yes. The couple things here. Obviously, the short fields did not help this defense. I think generally the Colts did a pretty good job in sudden change situations. They only allowed one touchdown in those couple of field goals. Um, Generally, I thought a pretty good job. But Cleveland's able to get a touchdown out of their first drive. Pierre, or uh, not Pierre Strong, excuse me, Jerome Ford goes 69 yards on third down for a touchdown on Cleveland's first possession of the game. He only gained, outside of that run, Bill, he had uh, 10 carries for five yards in this game. 
Uh, Kareem Hunt goes 10 for 31. Pierre Strong, 8 for 25. You didn't see a lot of success on the ground for the Browns outside of that one run. But then you get down to crunch time late in the game, and the Browns are able to go on a 12-play 80-yard drive. That ends with Kareem Hunt scoring a touchdown on fourth and goal at the one-yard line. Um, that drive, all right, let, let's just let's talk about it, Bill. Okay. The referees on that drive um, call the illegal contact on Daryl Baker Jr. on the EJ Speed strip sack to Forrest Buckner recovery. If if that play stands, the Colts win the game. They, they mm-hmm. win the game. Cleveland has no timeouts left. Gardner Minshew takes a knee, takes another knee. Game over. Game's over. So that gets called big swing and momentum back to Cleveland. They get first and goal from the eight. Daryl Baker Jr. gets called for pass interference in the end zone, uh, grabbing the arm of the wide receiver on a ball that appeared to be uncatchable. Um, yeah. You get pa- you get pass interference there. So it's first and goal at the one. P.J. Walker throws incomplete three straight times. They hand it off to Kareem Hunt. He gets over the goal line, but just barely, and the Browns win the game. Uh, just a a really gutting sequence there, but ultimately one that when you look at the whole scope of this game, you don't want to leave it in the hands of the referees. And whether you agree with those calls or not, and I'm assuming most people listening to this are not going to agree with those calls, but Kenny Moore the second after the game said like, like ultimately this is the league we're in. Like if you leave it up to the officials, you're leaving yourself open to, you know, what he essentially said is you're leaving yourself open for you to get screwed over in that situation. Don't leave it up to the officials. You know, the, here's the exact quote that he said, quote, I didn't see from the first one. I didn't see much contact at all, especially at the end of the game. You got to let us play. You got to let us play in those situations. But I told DJ after the game, this is what we sign up for. If we leave the game in the hands of the guys who control the game, we can't expect them to make the right call every single time. It's a human element of it. And ultimately, if it, you know, it goes either way in those situations, ultimately the the Colts on both sides of the ball in all three phases probably feel like there are a couple of plays they could have made that wouldn't have put them in that situation late in the game where an officiating decision can have a have an out impact on the outcome of the game. Yeah. Um when you talk about athletes playing in games, most athletes want to have a control have the control of what happens in the game. And you know, the only way you do that is to make sure you do your assignments out there in the football field and and hopefully you don't put yourself in a situation where you come down to the end of the game and it could come down to a referee making a call that you might not agree with and that changing the outcome of the game. So you need to put yourself in a position so that the referees don't make those calls and determine the outcome of the game. So, you know what, you you just can't put it in their hands. You have to take control of that. And you take control of that by making sure you don't put yourself in that situation. You don't turn the ball over. You score points when you get turnovers, you, do the things that you need to do. You don't get penalties and, and um, at times where they're going to hurt you. And, you know, they got penalties uh, when, at times when they hurt the Colts. If you want to question that, 
people are going to question that. As you said, JJ, I'm sure people listening to this are probably questioning um, the calls that the referees made, but you can't leave it to the referees. You have to take control of it yourself and go out there and make plays. And know what? Hopefully the guys will learn from this. The young guys will learn from this that, hey, you know what? When we have an opportunity to put a team away, we have to put them away and win these football games. Yeah, I mean, it. it's hard in a game where there were, what, there were 72 plays on defense, 67 plays on offense to, to really – say yeah you know came down to that obviously game get games get close at the end and you know you want to get you know you want to let guys play whatever it may be um but look i mean there there were plays out there on every single phase that had they been made that this might be a different outcome and it might not come down to that i guess bill like when you think about now what like daryl baker jr is going to go through where Mm -hmm. he gets it he, he starts the season as a starting cornerback on this defense after two weeks, uh, you know, tough game in Houston. He he's inactive. Juju Brents gets into the starting lineup. Um, then Juju comes. You know, Dallas Flowers gets hurt against the Rams. Then Juju has an injured quad today against the Browns. Daryl Baker has to step in, and now this is on his his permanent record, so to speak. Um, like, what do you, what do you say to a teammate after a game like this, where you know, obviously he he's you know, probably beating himself up and, you know, is, is feeling like he might have cost his team the game. Yeah, when you're a competitor like that and, you know, you care about your teammates, you know, you feel and you're going to feel that, you know what, you let your teammates down, you let the team down and, you know, the, the guys are going to rally around him and that's what they need to do, rally around him. You know, he's, he's part of the team, he's part of the family and you got to lift him up, you know, support him and, and be there for him and, and encourage him that, hey, look, you know what? There are going to be times where you might have to go back in there again. You might have to play and you're going to make the plays. We have confidence in you that you're going to make the play and you have to stay. You have to stay confident as an individual that you can make those plays because we believe in you. So the guys are going to rally around him, pick him up, lift him up to make sure that he has the confidence going forward that, you know, he can make the plays and for him not to get down and beat himself up too much. I thought the Colts defense you know, really for the the vast majority of this game played really well. And Deshaun Watson exits the game. You know, he looked like he got banged up on the uh, the near Kenny Moore interception where Dio Dangbo kind of landed on him. He cleared concussion protocol. Kevin Stefanski held him out of the game yeah. is, is what it seemed like happened. Um, PJ Walker steps in. The Browns don't really move the ball. Um you know, until that last drive, if you look at from the first drive of the game through the last drive, there were 13 possessions in between that the Browns averaged 3.5 yards per play on those possessions. They ran 48 plays. They gained 166 yards. Um, They got points, but those are mostly on short fields. Every time the Browns started with the ball in their own territory, they only managed two long field goals. So for the most part, I thought the defense played well. I thought it was impressive how, you know, especially after that Jerome Ford run, how this defense kind of pulled together against the run and without Grover Stewart in there played really well for the most part of this game. Um, You know, that you you obviously never want to give up an explosive run. You can't just gloss over that. I I did think, though, there were some encouraging things that this defense was able to do in this game up until then, that last drive, which was, you know, not what this defense wanted to, to do. Yeah, I mean, I thought the defense did some good things out there. You know, you have you have nine tackle for losses, 
in this game. You have eight quarterback hits. You have two sacks. So they did some good things out there in the football field, putting pressure on the quarterback, um, doing a good job against the run after that first long run, um, the first drive of, of Cleveland that they had, and they got that long run. So I thought they did some nice things and, you know, put some pressure on, you know, Cooper didn't didn't have a, a real big game. He didn't get really targeted until later on in the game. So they did a good job against him. And you know what? They didn't really allow too many big plays outside of the run. And I think there was the the play on that last drive, maybe about thirty yard pass. I think that they hit over there in in the in the hole there with Elijah Moore. So um, I thought the defense did some good things out there, and they played hard. And the defense of the Colts have has played hard every game and they've played mm -hmm. physical every game. They've done a nice job. I mean, the play EJ speed made was just, I mean, for him to come there like, like that with all that force and, and an hit awesome PJ play. Walker. Yeah. It was, it was, it was a nice play by um, speed. So I'll give our defense credit and you know, they're not going to give up. They, they play the whole game and they're just going to keep on fighting and fighting and fighting and, so it's a lot about the defense, as I stated before in previous weeks. You know, they gave up that long run, but they didn't give up. They knew they had to play the rest of the game, and they did a decent job of, of you know, holding down Cleveland. You know, they got some short fields, as you stated, J.J., but um, give the defense credit for playing hard and, and giving the Colts a chance to win the football game. Here's a fun fact, Bill. Kenny Moore II had three more tackles for a loss today. He now is a season high for his career in tackles for a loss with seven <laughs> after seven games. Wow. He is, he is also on pace to set a career high in tackles after he had 10 today. He is on pace for 112 tackles. That would also be a career high. Um, He's, he's playing some really good football this year. He almost comes down with that pick, which would have been his second of the season. But um, you know, I, I think, a lot of folks around Indianapolis and inside the the Indiana Farm Bureau Football Center saw the season coming from mm -hmm. Kenny after a disappointing uh, 2022 season. And man, he is he is having a year. He also had one and a half sacks today. Yep. It's more sacks mm -hmm. than he's had in the season since 2020 in one game. So mm -hmm. we're we're looking at Kenny putting up some pretty special numbers this season at this rate. Yeah, I think we saw this coming into training camp because he kind of had a, like a new bounce or a different bounce or some bounce in his step coming into training camp. And, you know, he, he felt probably a little bit more comfortable in, in this defense, another year in the defense. So he probably felt a little bit more comfortable and you've seen that every week. He's been playing very fast been playing very confident, playing very physical out there on the football field. So He's doing nice things and he's playing, he's playing well out there. And um, I like his aggressiveness out there in the football field and he's playing like he's not thinking out there. He's just reacting to everything. And it's good to see him play that way on the football field. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us here on the Colts audio network this week. We're going to have a plenty of things breaking down the Colts and the Browns and then looking ahead to Colts and saints in week eight. Next Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium, Colts Roundtable Live, hosted by Matt Taylor. He'll be joined by head coach Shane Steichen, Rick Venturi, and Joe Wrights. That'll be out Monday night here on the Colts Audio Network. On Tuesday, another episode of the official Colts podcast is back. Myself, Jeffrey Gorman, Lara Overton will be looking at some things from week seven and looking ahead to week eight. Inside Football with Rick Venturi on Wednesday. Matt Taylor will host that along with coach Rick Venturi with blueprints for the Colts to beat the Saints in week eight. 
On Thursday, Bill, you'll be joined by Casey Vallier and Matt Taylor looking ahead to Colts and Saints in week eight. And then, Bill, you and I will be back next Sunday night after Colts and Saints at Lucas Oil Stadium. Looking forward to that episode. Hopefully looking forward to the Colts going on a bit of a break from playing at home a week from today uh, with a win to go send us to Carolina and then off to Germany. Anyways, for Bill Brooks, I'm JJ Stankovitz. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Instant Reaction here on the Colts Audio Network. We'll talk to you next week. So long.